This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Missouri 5th District Representative Emanuel Cleaver. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry provides individualized protection on over 300 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Missouri Congressman Emanuel Cleaver next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 300 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Agriculture is big business to the country and the state of Missouri. Democrat Emanuel Cleaver represents the 5th District of Missouri and says agriculture brings $80 billion to the state, and right now his farmers are hurting. Cleaver says there's a common request from many sections of the ag industry. They need for Washington to leave them alone. That's what I hear, hear most. They are not happy, as you might imagine, over the trade war and you know, if we accept the fact that, that the mounting tariffs have rattled the world markets, uh, imagine what that is doing here. And so the farmers are very concerned. I met with many of them uh, uh, two weeks ago along with the governor, Governor Parsons. We had a, a meeting here in the district with, with farmers only. And they were saying, look, some of them had not gotten any of the promised subsidy from the, the president. And some of those who had said it only partially took care of their economics with their farm and, and with their uh, desire to live uh, above the poverty line. And so they're saying, which you've probably heard from people around the country, and that is, we want trade, not aid. So they're not happy campers, even though some of them will, will tell you that they support the president or, or they did support the president. Some of them are, I guess, weakening a little in that support, but they want the, the trade war to be over and they want to try to recoup the money that they're, they're losing. If you connect the farming or agricultural economy in the state with what happened during the spring with the flooding, man, we've had a tsunami of negatives rolling across northwest Missouri for sure. Congressman, after seven terms in the House, certainly in key committees, how much longer could the U.S. have gone without confronting China for their trade practices? And have we gone about it the right way? I think we probably should have done something much sooner. I agree with the president when he says that, that, that previous administrations should have dealt with this issue. I mean, China is a bad actor. They steal our intellectual properties. I don't think there's any question about that. And they do devalue money to, to, their, to their benefit. However, one of the things I have picked up over my years of involvement in politics and, and, and elective politics is that we are infinitely stronger if we have others with us. And I think we should have had a strategy. As of today, there is no strategy that anybody can articulate. It's just let's, let's uh, do another 
five percent here and uh, let's do this over there it's not there's no strategy outlined and we we should have gone into this with a strategy and the strategy should have included working with our allies instead of the united states and china in a tit-for-tat one-on-one trade war we could have had our european allies and even some of our Asian allies working with us and negotiating with us. We would be much stronger if we had partners, but we ran ahead ignoring the need for partners, and we're out here by ourselves. I don't see a way out of this that is uh, wholesome. You chair a subcommittee with national security, international development, and monetary policy. What's the significance that the U.S. finally declared the Chinese as a currency manipulator? Well, we know they've done that, and here again, we would be in a much better situation if we had others with us, because as the Chinese are manipulating currency, the only nation they are in an argument with that matters is the United States. And think about this. If the U.S. and 10 of its allies were all responding or pledging attention for Chinese practices, bad practices, and, and that they would respond in some coordinated way, China would have to think twice about it. Look, China knows that we're in trouble. They know that our U.S. economy is weakening. They do know that there is also some political upheaval uh, in the country. Uh, they know that we're walking away from many of our historic allies in Europe. The meeting with the G7 uh, a couple of weeks ago is public testimony to the fact that our allies are not, you know, as lovey-dovey as they have been with us. You, all you have to do is look at France making a side deal with Iran in an attempt to salvage the Iran uh, agreement put in place with President Obama and our allies. And so the Chinese know now they, they just have to deal with the United States and, frankly, uh, a weaker United States. And so the currency issue could have been one of the most significant ways in which we could have impacted China. The, the dollar is the world currency. It, it is what every nation prefers when they're doing an exchange. And so if we have the the most desired currency on the planet, why would we not have allies with us when we deal with China? And we have not, and I think that's to our detriment and to the advantage of China. Some might say that hindsight is twenty twenty. In retrospect, from your opinion, should we have stayed in the TPP, or should we revisit going or trying to rejoin the TPP? Um you know, I, I almost hate you to ask, ask that question. Uh, <laughs> first, first of all, I, I think it would be really important to analyze why we uh, abandoned the TPP. And if it was done for any petty political reason, then shame on us. And the, and the consequences might be deserved. Um, and there are those who believe that any kind of agreement the Trans-Pacific Partnership being one that President Obama supported, this president would oppose. And I would much rather stay in something and try to reform it if there are flaws. And there's no such thing as a perfect trade agreement or perfect anything else for that matter. 
But the best way to do it is if, if you are still in the, the coalition for that agreement, to change it. And we want it to tear it apart and start over. And I know the president said these are easy, these things are easy to do. I think we had him on record saying that on, on, on many occasions. Uh, but they're not. Uh, they're not easy to do. And look, think about this. Uh, we are trying right now to communicate with Canada to give uh, them an update on negotiations between Congress and uh, the U.S. Trade Representative. And we're expressing our concerns of labor standards. That, you know, people will, will ask me uh, all the time, you know, uh, why are Democrats opposed to trade agreements? You know, and I usually respond, we're not. Uh, but we are also, we've got to be concerned about labor standards and including in our concerns must be prescription drug prices, uh, environmental protections, and ways in which we can guarantee that there will be enforcement mechanisms in place. As it is written right now, do you think the USMCA would pass the lower chamber? Well, first of all, President Trumpka uh, of the AFL-CIO has said that labor is not going to support the uh, agreement right now. And it's because of what I said earlier. It's one of those things that we are concerned about. It has to be enforceable. And the reasons that Democrats may have some problems with it uh, are related to things that are minor uh, and that should be included, uh, but they are significant enough to, to, for Democrats to hold back support. I don't know a Democrat. I don't know a single Democrat who wants to see uh, the USMCA go down. I don't. I, I mean, I don't. I mean, I, I'm in Washington. I go to the, the meeting. I chair a, a subcommittee. I'm a part of the leadership, and I have never heard anybody, you know, saying, we, well, let's just uh, oppose all trade agreements. And right now we don't see that. And if Mexico can't enforce their own agreement, you know, this agreement will never work because their wages will be artificially low and they will suck jobs uh, and capital right out of the United States. And an unenforceable trade deal is a windfall for corporations and it's a disaster for workers. Here's the way this goes. The agreement says something like as long as we maintain a certain average in wages, we, we will not support it. But even there, if we let's say we supported it, let's say they say we have to maintain a $5 an hour wage, and the United States is paying $13 an hour, and Mexico is paying $4 an hour or $3 an hour, we're going to average over $5. But the imbalance is going to cost the workers so much hurt. They're going to experience all kinds of financial woes because they, they're going, in Mexico, they're, because they're going to be mistreated. So we've got to have ways to enforce the deal. And I, I'm not anti-business. I want corporations to make a lot of money, but I want workers to be paid, and we cannot exploit these Mexican workers. I would never support that. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to come up with ways in which we can enforce this agreement. Congressman, it took Washington two years to come up with $3 billion for natural disasters, and that included hurricanes and floods and fires. President Trump recently said that we have lots of money from tariffs and willing to help farmers in the southeast to recover from Hurricane Dorian. So what about the rest of the country? 
Are your funding needs met after the natural disaster of floods? Are the other needs met in addition to those that may be coming with this latest hurricane? Uh, no. First of all, let, let me just say there may be um, an eighth grade student listening, and I want to make sure that he or she understands that the synonym for tariff is tax. We are not, we are not receiving billions and billions of dollars from China as a result of the tariff war and the tariffs that we are imposing. What we are doing is watching the cost of, um, of, of things we buy in Walmart or, or many of the other stores rise. Uh, and I know the president probably didn't mean to do this, but he has falsely claimed this all over the world, frankly. And, you know, there may be people who actually believe that somehow there's some kind of magical way we're, we're now doing things that will bring money into the, into the U.S. coffers. And that's just not, that's just not true. We have, because of climate change, all of these weather events occurring, you know, and the cost is running up. We still have levees right here in the 5th Congressional District that need to be rebuilt. I mean, we had levees that were washed away uh, with the spring flooding. And if, we're, if we are uh, awash with money, uh, I would like to know where uh, I can get a couple of bucket loads of them to bring it into my farmers because I just met with a big group of them, and, and they are still wondering whether or not we're going to get a transportation bill or an infrastructure bill so that I might be able to, to earmark some, some money to come in here to repair or replace uh, many of the levees. So I don't want to give the impression that everything is fine and as long as this tariff war is going on, we're going to continue to bring in billions and billions of dollars because people are not stupid. They'll say, well, why aren't we getting the levees fixed? You know, why are the Corps of Engineers moving faster to do much of the work that we need done along Missouri? And the answer is money. Congressman, a number of your farmers produce crops that are turned to ethanol or made into soy biodiesel, and they are quite concerned about the Trump administration's EPA and their administration of the renewable fuel standards. From the lower volume targets to the recent uh, uh, SREs, what are your thoughts on the RFS, and, and where do we go from here? Look, I have a an ethanol plant in a little small town in my district called Multibin. They will tell you or anybody that they're suffering from uh, weaker prices and oversupply as uh, that pillar of the farm economy has been hurt by, you know, these regulatory changes and the trade war with China. And my farmers will tell you that this is the worst downturn they've seen in the, in the industry's history. And, you know, China has, has halted ethanol imports uh, from the U.S. and... That was uh, almost 60 million gallons before the trade war, and uh, and that's less than 1% of the U.S. output. But China has the fastest-growing foreign market for U.S. ethanol, and we ought to be able to exploit that right now, and we can. You know, ethanol futures fell, I guess, during the spring and the, the beginning of the summer. And then I think we had a slight rise in June when ethanol was traded on the New York Mercantile Exchange. Uh, but it, it, it's now dropped 21% at, at a, at a $1.35 a gallon. 
and and prices for corn, that, which is as you know the main ingredient mm-hmm. in ethanol, fallen twenty one percent. And you know when you have that kind of hit, you're hurting the entire industry uh, here in Missouri. Even in the U.S., the consumption has fallen for the first time in a, in, a, in about twenty years. And so if you're you know an ethanol pr- producer, or if you're at multi bin. Your average loss is going to be up there, and you're going to feel the pain. We have a, you know, uh, probably a hundred or so employees up there. We've we've had as, high, as many as two hundred at that plant, and I guess uh, we shouldn't be surprised if sometime in the near future we see that um, layoffs are taking place. Congressman, did the FCC's broadband service maps? tell this whole story about who's being served with rural broadband in your state and and is the broadband initiative that's underway either in federal agencies or in state agencies or with contractors is this a coordinated effort how, how do you see us moving forward to accomplish the task well i'm glad you asked the question about coordinated effort because that is not what we have we have the fcc and we have a member of the fcc by the way who is from this community and I took him out to meet with the farmers about a week after he was confirmed. And, and so I know what his goals are uh, as it relates to broadband, and he's doing uh, everything he can, and he understands that this is his home. But the federal effort is not coordinated. Everything is so disjointed, we're having difficulty keeping secretaries and top staffers in all these federal departments. But the FCC and the USDA very desperately, in my opinion, need to be together, working together. I think that in some ways, HUD should be a part of that to make it a trio. Uh, HUD, you probably think, well, you know, that's more of a big city federal department. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that we have a rural component uh, to HUD. And uh, yes, the majority of the money comes to the entitlement cities like Kansas City, St. Louis, Springfield, and Independence. But another big chunk of money is sent to the state. And the money is dished out competitively. So uh, communities uh, can send in an application to the state to try to uh, access some of the HUD dollars. We need to get HUD dollars. We need to get FCC dollars. uh, We need to get USDA dollars. We have to work together. This is a big challenge. I mean, I'm sick and tired of going out to my district and looking around in the late evening and seeing uh, a lot of my teenage constituents in McDonald's doing their homework because that's where the Wi-Fi is. For that to happen in the United States is sickening. The kids would have to go to a fast food restaurant to get hi-fi to do their homework. And so I I can get pretty riled up on this one because it's it's completely unnecessary. We've got to take a look at it and do perhaps what we did with Homeland Security, and that's bring all these random rump groups under one banner in order to provide the broadband we need. Congressman, I know you have a very busy schedule, and we're grateful that you took time for us to have the conversation here on Open Mic. It is Open Mic. This is your first visit with us, but you have the last word today. Well, I think that we've had a lot of tough times in this country. We've been through a depression. We've been through two world wars. We even went through a civil war, and we had uh, chattel slavery for over 300 years. We've gotten above uh, and beyond many of the great problems that we've had. I am convinced, uh, not always going to find a lot of people embracing this, but I am convinced that we can, we're going to get out of this. We're going to we're going to do all the things we need to do. And one of the things we need to do is to make sure that the farmers, the people who feed not only this nation but the world, 
uh, are able to do so. Uh, and we don't want any farmer out wondering whether they're going to lose a, a centennial farm because many of these uh, farmers just cherish the fact that they are working the lands that their great-grandparents uh, worked and, and hoping that their children and even their progeny will eventually become farmers. And so we're going to get beyond all these problems, all these challenges that you and I have spoken about today. And uh, uh, as long as people are willing to be civil and work together, uh, there's a chance for us to solve these problems. And I think that there are enough of, enough of us who feel that way and you know, that we will get it done. Our thanks to Missouri 5th District Representative Emanuel Cleaver, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.